All right, welcome back, Dragons, to episode 94 of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am your host, Kenny Rotter, and today I am bringing back a good friend of the podcast, Taylor Smith. Uh, Taylor was last on here when we were talking about the Evil Dead 2 board game, which uh, is still going to be one of my favorite board games uh, of all time because I love the Evil Dead, and who doesn't love Bruce Campbell, and it's all good, but... Taylor is off on some new adventures, and we are going to talk to him about that right after the show notes. So first, I want to ask everyone, I haven't asked in a while, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. absolutely helps me out. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, short stories, fashion tips, or jokes, be sure to hit me up on social media. I am everywhere, at Dumbbells Dragon. Uh, now, get ready for the conversation with Taylor. Workout nerd out. In the basement, rolling dice. Rolling dice. I'm a wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker. Fighting dragons in my mind. In my mind. Just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. Taylor, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Dude, thank you for being here. Absolutely love talking to you the last time. And uh, you got some new stuff in the work that I actually wanted to talk to you about, both nerd and fitness related. So, I do, I do. Excellent. What have you been up to, uh, before we jump into all that stuff, what have you been up to since the last time we spoke? Um, Gosh, that was like a year and a half ago. Yeah, about. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wow, yeah, I've I've been very busy. I think in that time, Space Goat launched uh, the Terminator, the official board game, which I was also lead designer on. Um, but uh, ultimately, I left Space Goat due to some disagreements with the company, and I am now on my own as Whimsy Machine Media. I, uh, in January, launched my Kickstarter for Spell the RPG, and uh, that's going really well so far, but we can talk business later. Um, I've been, I've been good. Um, I stopped running for a while because it is hard, uh, <laughs> but I got back into it. Um, I've also been doing ballet for about a year, uh, and that's really fun. There's, there's so much I want to talk about there. Uh, first, I'm glad that you're starting to get back into running. Uh, I was supposed to go for a run today and then I didn't. So that's a thing. Uh, well, it's snowing outside where I am, so... I'm glad that I didn't have a run scheduled for today. <laughs> I did it, mine yesterday. Whereas it is 70 degrees and beautiful where I am, so I really <laughs> don't have an excuse. But uh, if, if I can ask, what made you stop running? Uh, honestly, um, I so I'm in northern Washington state, and winters are long and dark and cold and wet. And so I think it was just something as the fall progressed into winter, it just became harder and harder to find times that weren't absolutely miserable to run outside in because I do my running uh, outside and not in a gym. And I just kind of gave myself the winter off and then fell out of the habit. So when spring rolled around, I just didn't get back into it um, because, I don't know, when it comes to fitness, I definitely thrive when I have some responsibility greater than myself so like when i was in uh like high school and when i was in college i would take fitness classes and i would work like as hard as i possibly could in those classes but as soon as i have to be self-motivated that's uh 
that's a different story. That's a whole um, other ball game, yeah. Yep, yep. So I just I fell out of the habit of it, um, and then I started taking dance, and that kind of gave me an excuse of like, well, now I'm doing this fitness thing again. Um, but my dad uh, has run the Sound and Arrows race in Tacoma, Washington, pretty much every single year, and he's been trying to get me to do it. And he was so excited when I told him first that I had started running because it was like his dream was like, oh, yes, you can run with your father now. Um, and like two years ago, one of my brothers ran it with him. And last year, both of my brothers ran it with them. So I kind of got the peer pressure to uh, run it with them this year. So it, that's in June. And I just have to train like crazy to be able to move my body for like that long. I think it's like seven miles or something. Dude, you can do that. Ain't going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited, and please keep me updated on how you do. That's going to be very exciting. Yeah, uh, I will do. Awesome. And you said ballet, and I immediately got super excited because anybody who has seen uh, the movie Pumping Iron knows that when Arnold Schwarzenegger was training for his Mr. Olympia titles, uh, he was taking ballet. And he said it totally brought his gym game and his bodybuilding game to another level. So I'm super excited to see what you're getting out of it. Uh, how's it going for you, and why did you decide on ballet? Uh, well, I am not bodybuilding, so I can't <laughs> offer insight into that aspect of it. But, uh, yeah, so my partner, she has been in – she, like, grew up through ballet. She started taking it when she was, like, four or five and then took it all through high school and then, again, it was one of those things where, like, once you're no longer in school and it's part of your regular schedule, she stopped. But her and one of our friends started taking ballet uh, just at this local uh, studio as the adult open classes. And they were going and they were talking about how, like, it was a lot of fun and it was a good workout. And I was just like, well, that sounds like fun. I want to go. Uh, so I just started going with them uh, about a year ago. And our, our friend has since stopped um, because she has opted for MMA fighting and like full contact, uh, yeah, like MMA fighting That's awesome. uh, classes. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. Um, and I think she really enjoys because she's about like five foot, nothing. Um, and she's, I think the only, uh, female student, uh, and most of the other guys are like these really big, huge, Mostly guys, but so she she gets a certain satisfaction with being able to like headlock him and take him down to the ground. Uh, so for me taking ballet, um, it was just kind of like the opportunity. It was what was uh, my partner was doing and our friend was doing, and once I started taking it, I just I really enjoyed it, and I can see how it would help with other fitness because so much of it is body control, um, and just like being aware of what all of your different muscles are doing and just like staying active. So even when you're standing still, or even if you're doing just like a simple move, you have to be like activated all the way through, you know, you're, you're not clinching, but you're just keeping your legs active, your, your core active, your whole body has to be paying attention. Um, and that's something that I remember when I was weightlifting in high school, uh, you know, they, they don't really tell you about, they just kind of tell you about like, this is a heavy piece of metal lifted above your head. 
don't crush yourself. <laughs> uh, so with dance, there's a lot of that, like, okay, what, is, what are your hands doing? What is your elbow doing? What is like your head doing? Um, because so much of ballet is, you know, you're presenting yourself and you need to, you know, be a shape and you need to just control your body in a way that is elegant. And there's so much going on that that's like, it's a mental gymnastics just to be, fully aware of everything that your body is doing. So yeah, that's, that's really exciting and uh, a fun part about it. That's awesome. That's excellent. Uh, I, it's one of those things that I would love to make the time to do, but it's just, unfortunately, I just can't make it a priority right now. Yeah. And uh, I'm really fortunate to have this uh, ballet studio that's local it's got really affordable i think we started going to the classes with like some kind of like local coupon sort of thing uh, it's got really affordable open adult classes um and because to be honest i've heard a lot of you know negative things about how um dance studios kind of format their their classes and how sometimes younger students are are, are treated and you know it's synced up with a lot of like body image issues i've known a couple of uh ex-dancers who have harder opinions but i'm really fortunate to have a very positive studio in town that's a very inclusive environment um i mean our class size is usually anywhere from four to twelve um and i mean we have everybody from college students to i think our oldest student yet was a 70 year old yoga teacher for um the assisted living home that she was at um and, you know, everyone in between. So it's it's a really nice, good environment where you don't feel judged uh, if you don't know how to do it. Um, and uh, I, I think I'm really fortunate to have that. But I can see, like, if you don't have one of those, those setups where, you know, it's okay if you miss this class or that class, um, it can be a, a difficult thing to commit to. No, absolutely. And I think that's really cool that they've created this you know, all inclusive environment, just because when, whenever you're starting out on a new thing, it's very difficult. There's always going to be some level of the voice inside your head, making it a bigger deal than it actually is. Mm -hmm. So yeah. having a place like that, that is welcoming and comforting is, uh, is, is good for anybody starting out any new thing. So that's awesome. I'm very happy that you found that. What stuff have you been doing uh, nerdy now? Wise, have you been having time to video game, TV, comic book, anything like that? Um. Wow. Okay. So, let's see. I do watch the occasional show. I usually like if there's a specific show, I'll try to get through it as much as I can until because, like, I know if I let a show sit, I'm never going to come back to it. Um. I think a couple of the noteworthy recent shows. Um, so I tried Black Mirror because I, that came really highly recommended. I know that's not new, um, but I really didn't get into the first season. Um, but I heard that the fourth season was pretty good. Uh, there's a couple of anime shows that I watched through. So Devilman Crybaby was one of those ones that kind of like blew up because it was the Netflix original anime that was actually made by a Japanese studio. And it was really out there, like sex, violence, demons, uh, pretty over the top. And I really enjoyed it up until like 
the very finale. I think the the last episode, and it was one of those things. Just like I know a lot of people really loved it, but for uh, for me, I think that last episode just kind of it was rough, and I didn't enjoy it, and it kind of like retroactively took some of the enjoyment from the previous like run of the show. Oh wow. Yeah, and and so that was so disappointing because like the animation is beautiful, and um, there's just so much going on that I really really wanted to enjoy it, um, but uh, I, uh, I I'm going through my entire head of every everything kind of geeky that I've done. <laughs> um, I'm still in my Mouse Guard campaign. Uh, that's one that I get to play in, nice. uh, and that's a lot of fun. Mouse Guard is definitely one of my favorite systems. Excellent. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think at this point, I'm just going to start rambling and going into a list. Pretty much the only video game that I get to play anymore is uh, Minecraft or um, Tales of Zillia because I got it on like a PlayStation Network sale oh, for uh, sure. once. And I was like, I've heard good things about this game. Um, I was. God, the, the only game I've been playing recently has been. Plants vs. Zombies, just because it's mindless and addicting. Oh, nice. Um, I need to get back into Pokemon Sun, just because I have a... Uh, I have a promo code for a free, like, badass Pokemon that I need to get. Oh, nice. Um, and it's weird. It's like, I will play that game for two weeks straight and then lose interest. Well, not lose interest, but just get overwhelmed with other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll get one of these cards for, like, in a... a limited edition Pokemon or something and I'll get back into it for two weeks. So, uh, it, it works out, but right, yeah, that's, that's not a bad schedule. Yeah. I God TV wise, I'm still trying to catch up on the West wing and I love the West wing. I've never, I've, I'd never watched it before. So I'm in the middle of that. Um, and it makes me really, really happy because I can pretend I'm living in a better political climate <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Um, it's it's sad when political drama is positive escapism because it almost never is, right? Like I can see myself watching, uh, watching The West Wing back in like '99 or 2000, and being like, "Oh my gosh, this is so stressful." And now I'm like, "Oh, they're only dealing with this." <laughs> yeah. Um. And then uh, this episode is going to drop the day the Reading Rainbows um, are discussing Batgirl Year One by Chuck Dixon. So the day we're recording this, we are going to be discussing Robin Year One by Chuck Dixon. And it was amazing. So I I highly recommend that to people. Um, Other things I've been doing nerd out wise, uh, I... Uh, I saw Black Panther yesterday. Oh my goodness! I want to see it so bad, but haven't yet. I have those movie passes, um, but saw that I not allowed. Like they don't qualify for opening weekend. Yeah. So I was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna buy tickets then. Dude, it is. It is easily the most beautiful Marvel movie that has been made today. Uh, it is visually stunning. The music is amazing. Uh, it's not a perfect movie. I would put it up 
it's probably in one of my top five MCU movies. Uh, it was incredible. It was just absolutely incredible. There's a couple things that aren't my particular taste. Um, sure. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I definitely want to see it so bad. Um, I think at this point, my only concern is that, like, the internet response, like, the Twitter response, the Rotten Tomatoes response, like, everything has been so overwhelmingly positive that I just hope that I am able to enjoy it, even if it falls short of, like, full religious experience, Yeah, as the internet has told me that it is. Um, but, again, like, everything that I've heard about it has just been overwhelmingly positive. So I am really excited to go see it. It's, it's very, very good. I'm trying to get a friend of mine on the podcast because she's a huge nerd. She's been looking forward to this movie since Iron Man, you know, like she's been waiting cause you know, Black Panther is her superhero. Oh, nice. Okay. So I've been, I'm, I've been trying to get her on where we can talk about it, but she is insanely busy so I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, go see it. Let us know what you think. I'm, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And other than that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else nerdy I've been doing. Oh, um, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but mm -hmm. I'm currently reading a graphic novel called Black, and it's by Kwanzaa Ojafor, I believe. And I don't know if I'm familiar with that. It is it is an indie comic. I believe it was kickstarted, and it is it's almost like the X Men, whereas it's like um, half of one percent of people have superhuman powers, but everybody who has superhuman powers is black. And it's a very interesting social commentary. Oh, um, I did hear about this one. Yeah, this looks super cool. Um, like, I wouldn't necessarily say go pick it up if you're looking for some light reading because it is gonna, it is, it's intense and it's race plays an issue and it's an amazing book, but it's not some, it's not like, um, in comparison, Scooby Apocalypse, which is the Scooby-Doo crew in a post-apocalyptic world. You know, it's um, not... I'm still it... bitter that they didn't call that comic Scooby Doomsday. <laughs> right? <laughs> Objectively better title. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I can... it looks like Black did phenomenally well on Kickstarter, too. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, God, I just love independent creators. They're so great. <laughs> um, speaking of independent creators, Mr. Whimsy Machine... Um, hey, that's me. That is you. Where did the name come from? Um, okay, so I remember thinking about having to create a brand for myself. And this was like maybe three years ago at this point. Um, and just doing the thing where I was coming up with just word association and then Google searching it to see if anybody had uh, come up with it or used it before, you know, just checking your SEO. Um and I started with um, just puns on my name because my name, Taylor Smith, both of those words are just professions of people who make things. So I'm like, oh, there's probably <laughs> something there like, like Gamesmither or like TaylorMade Games or something like that. 
Um, and of course, every single permutation of that hyper common name uh, was taken. And I think I just, uh, I, I was talking with my partner, Mariah, and I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I just need to do so like completely random word associations. Like, I don't know, like whimsy machine and just, just, I, I like, I just word vomited this thing. And she's like, oh, I really like that. I was like, really? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, yeah. Those words that you just said. Uh, and so like I searched it and um, there was nobody that was going by whimsy machine. I've since found out that there like are two different whimsy game companies that are like in Washington state. Oh, um, wow. So uh, I, I don't think that I invented those words by any mean, but yeah, um, whimsy machine was just kind of like this, this feeling of, you know, like whimsical, fun, lighthearted. I really want to make games that are, you know, like fun and accessible and um, you can, you can get into them and just kind of like, explore the like escapism but then the machine part kind of comes in because um you know like i'm i'm somebody who likes math and likes spreadsheets and i'm going to like build and i don't want to say program because i don't know actually know how to do the real programming uh and coding and stuff but like create things that have a good solid structural foundation and that's kind of the uh, game design goal and kind of what is underneath spell the RPG, which is uh, the game on, on Kickstarter now. Excellent. And um, obviously just before we get into it, we are going to include a link to spell the RPG um, in the show notes. So everyone can go back that on Kickstarter, but go ahead and tell us what spell is. Spell is a tabletop role-playing game that uses dice and letter tiles, uh, and it has this uh, what-you-spell-is-what-you-cast magic system, where you literally spell out the magic that you want to cast, and what that word says is what you do. Um, And it it has this really open-ended, creative, problem-solving approach to role-playing, but, you know, it still has stats and dice at its backbone, so it's not uh, completely freeform. Um, it's been a passion project of mine for you know just over two years. I did launch a uh, Kickstarter for it about two and a half years ago. I had no idea what it was doing, and I had so much anxiety about self-promoting that it did not succeed. Um, and I've done a lot of growing in the last two years, a lot of learning, and uh, I'm very happy to say that this campaign is going much, much better. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I know your experience with Kickstarter in the past, um, even though, I mean, maybe launching that Kickstarter, was it your first time using Kickstarter? That was, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think your experience uh, in the last two and a half years, you've launched a, a few? Two? Two, yeah. Two? Yeah, I've been part of two launches. Well, officially, I've been a part somehow or another of think five kickstarter launches because those are uh space go did a couple of comic book and merchandise uh kickstarter campaigns in the meantime um and those were things that i was tangential to in some way or another okay well that's good yeah so i saw a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts 
For sure. And it's always having that experience that allows you to see what works, see what doesn't, and then take the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've had a couple poor Kickstarter experiences um, where where it's like, uh, yeah, all right, uh, you were successfully funded, but I never got what you promised, which it happens. Like, I, I rarely go into a Kickstarter expecting to get what they've promised me. Does that make sense? Yeah, you... I, and I think Kickstarter kind of encourages that where they say, um, you know, like everything is all part of the risk. And I think it's it's a little bit hard sometimes when you see a page that looks either really put together or when like sometimes it makes sense why something doesn't work out. And then sometimes, uh, you know, folks just kind of like disappear, um, I think what I kind of keep coming back to is um, the infamous Mighty Number no. 9, which was the video game by the creator. And this is why I, part of the reason why I never back video games on Kickstarter, just because I, I feel like out of all the campaigns, those are the ones with the most amount of like delays and changes and risks. Um, and I'm, I'm sure making a decision like that is kind of hypocritical as a Kickstarter creator. Um, but like, I also wouldn't fault somebody if they said like, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll buy your game when it's out and like when you're selling it online or something, I hope to get it out in retail. Um, but yeah, so that was one of those games where it took them several years longer and the game that they came out with was, uh, pretty different than what, what they had said. Uh, and that was by a studio who was very, very well practiced. It was by like the Mega Man creator. Um, and so, yeah, like the, the nature of Kickstarter is that there's always going to be a little bit of that risk. Oh, yeah. And it was, I want to say one time, um, I back, the majority of the time my Kickstarter experience has been positive. Um, and I'll get everything that I've been promised and usually, you know, a little bit more just through updates and stuff like that. So I, I, I believe in Kickstarter. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, if I didn't, I, I wouldn't use it, but like, I, I really do love that. Um, you know, the behind the scenes, of those, those updates and like how humanizing it is when people show you like pictures of their living room full of boxes and they're like, I'm getting through them. Because uh, it just, like, really reminds you that, like, most of these projects are just a couple people trying their best, and a lot of times they have a lot of other things going on in their life. Uh, so it's just really cool that, like, I'm glad your project got to be made. And um, I don't know, like, it, it feels really nice being on the other end of that, too. Because, um, like, through through Space Coast, so, mu- so much of it was, like, company-facing. And so with Whimsy Machine, it's really nice. Um you know, having it be pretty clear that it's like it's just kind of me doing this stuff, and um, it, it feels very personal, and that's a lot of fun because it, it it feels like I'm at a game night, and the internet is hanging out with me. That's awesome, and like here's here's some things that I'm realizing as I enter middle aged. Um, you're making a living making board games. Like, that's cool. I was at Six Flags 
um, earlier last week. And it's a, it's a theme park for people mm-hmm. who, who don't know. And I was talking to this, I don't know, I think the kid was like nine or ten. And she was talking to her dad about what she wanted to be when she grew up. And she said something, and she was saying something like she was really good at math and engineering, but she didn't want to be an engineer because it was boring. And I was like, well, who do you think makes roller coasters? Like, they need an engineer to figure all that stuff out. And the look on her face where she was, like, amazed that, like, she never thought about it that way. That somebody gets paid to engineer roller coasters. Um, And then you get, you know, like, you can get paid to design board games. Um, I just think that's so cool. And nobody ever told me that growing up. Possibly I would have gone a different route. Um... Yeah, no, like I, I definitely know what you mean, and I think that's that's really cool that you're able to contextualize a STEM career that's exciting like that because I, I definitely was one of those kids where I was like, when am I ever going to use math? Uh, and it took me a really long time to realize that, like, oh, it's less about knowing the Pythagorean theorem and having it memorized, and more about being able to think about the world mathematically. But like, um. That's really, really cool. And yeah, I, I totally agree that um so for a long time I was working uh we before Space Goat launched into even publishing comics, um the company represented artists for um comic books and, and commercial art. And it's one of those things where like you just like look around and in the world and you're like, Somebody made that and like and that includes, you know, going to a restaurant and there being a menu or just kind of like billboards or just like any sort of part of the world. It's like, yeah, somebody, somebody made that. And you can be the person who makes those things. Yeah. And I just, oh, 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 Phil, <laughs> it gives me warm fuzzies. Um, yeah. No, uh, can you, can you give us a little bit more about the game mechanics of spell the RPG? Maybe go into, um, a little bit more how it works, how many players can you have, stuff like that, just so people can get an idea of the sort of game nights they're going to be having uh, for themselves. Oh, yeah, happily. So uh, it is a tabletop role-playing game, so it's going to be, um, unlike a, a board game, you're going to have a game master who will run the session for you. It plays... Um, you can do down to two players. I'm sure you could do a one-on-one game. I've I've heard of those. They're just less common. Um, and I don't usually like running for more than six people because I feel like at that point there's usually somebody who's a little bit quieter who feels like they just need to sit out. Uh, so I think ideal is about three to five players um, plus one game master. And you... Uh, the, the character sheet is pretty simple. You have these stats called impulses, which you, there are 12 of them. And instead of, like, quantifying your, like, punch skill or, like, the number for how good you think, um, these represent uh, motivations and problem-solving methods. So they're things like daring, which you use when you're doing something, you know, daring or exciting or uncertain, or, like, grit when you... Um, when the challenge that you're facing is more about standing up to adversity than it is um, necessarily specifically what you're accomplishing. So if like the odds are stacked against you, but you have your grit to persevere. 
so it's a little bit uh, more abstract, but uh, I've I found it and I've had to go through a couple iterations. Um, but they're they're usually pretty intuitive. So when players read this list, they're like, all right. And the the advantage there is for a GM, you're not telling people specifically like make this roll and then get this result. And if you do, that's good. And if you don't, that's bad. Um, usually what ends up happening is you know, the GM describes a challenge, like there's a door that's locked, and somebody is like, okay, I'm going to roll my reason to try to uh, you know, deconstruct the locking mechanism, pop out the handle and go through. Or like somebody's like, I'm going to roll my force to just go through the door. I'm, I'm going to do the blunt headfirst method of you know, like working hard and just knocking down the door. I kind of liken it to that Hogwarts meme of uh, the the four houses approach a door. Um, Gryffindor kicks it down. Uh, Ravenclaw climbs through the window. Uh, Slytherin picks the lock. Hufflepuff knocks. Um, and I just love that. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what I wanted to represent this abstract. Like, how do you solve the problem? And like, how do you want to solve the problem? Uh, and then from there, you use um, for so impulses cover all of the uh, basics. So anything that your your default character would be able to accomplish, and then you have spells for magic, and they come in in a, in a similar way where you have a challenge in front of you. And um, example I use a lot is like there's a big chasm in front of you and the player's like, okay, uh, I want to cross this chasm. Can I jump it? And the GM's like, mm, probably won't make it. And they're like, okay, I'm going to cast a spell. And they are going to cast a daring spell and just jump and hope their magic uh, makes it. So they roll their daring and then they draw a number of letter tiles. So like Scrabble or Bananagram tiles. Uh, spell the RPG comes with a set of tiles that are like laser engraved and wood and super cool and nice. Uh, and they're a proprietary blend of specific letter distributions. But, you know, if you just have Scrabble laying around, it works too. Um, and you you draw the letters, and then what you spell is what happens. So I've done a couple of practical demos and spelled, like, the word wind. So you jump, and then a wind carries you across. Or a neat shot was one that I spelled where... Okay, I'm going to shoot myself across this chasm, but it's a neat shot, so I'm going to land where I want to land. And if the player can describe why that spell makes sense in the context of the challenge, in the context of the impulse that they used, then it works. It just it just works. The GM's like, okay, cool, you did it. Um, and if two players are acting against each other, there's always a chance to defend, and that's where the dice rolls and the stats come into play. So you can't just spell, you know, like win or nuke and blow up the world. You still have to have a mechanical um, capacity, and there's still, um, you know, like limits and contexts that, that get set up. But within that framework, you have pretty much total creative control to cast the spells that you want to cast. Okay. Yeah, and so the game works really well for... I've been running a lot of, like, silly one-shots, and so it works really well for a pick-up-and-play type of game. Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy to have been a lot of people's first tabletop role-playing game when they never thought that the hobby was for them, um, and they were able to get into it, which is really exciting, uh, and that's 
so rewarding to have somebody like I'm like I don't know if tabletops for me and then they play it and then they love it um but it also has a uh point by character progression system uh there are potential points which are just like experience points but you get them at the beginning of the session instead so you can spend them in the moment when you need them and using those you can keep spells that you've cast that if you sometimes they're stinkers and you use they do the thing and you, you let them go but sometimes if you spell like a really awesome combination of words or uh, you, you want to keep that so you can spend a couple of these potential points and build this repertoire of permanent spells that you can level up and you know so next time you encounter a chasm you can use that same spell again awesome yeah uh, what are some of the challenges that you have faced in in creating the game and creating like a workable product um well i think one of my biggest um huh okay so <laughs> stop wow. jail yeah no so i i, I think it's good because it's kind of an abstract system and one of the i think the the biggest leaps for um because like that was a big leap for me and I, i've seen a lot of people at various different stages of this progression it's going from like i have this really cool game idea and that can be up through like pages and pages and documents and all of that stuff to i've made a game which is like it's out there in the wild people who you've never met are playing it and that's that's such a huge shift that it can be incredibly difficult and um, I think writers get a lot with, um, you know, not putting everything down on the page or, you know, like when there's too much stuff in your head. And I think just communicating the game in a way that, like, I don't get to package myself up into every copy of the game and explain it to everybody ho who opens it up. Like, I don't get to be there to walk people through it and use examples. So it's like really building something that stands entirely independent of you because like I, I just ran this game for a while just with friends and at local gaming places but really just sort of disassociating uh from it and and building something that you know like can exist outside of my context and i can just like let it out in the world um and and i guess the way that that's kind of come up is uh for example those impulses that i mentioned they have gone through a couple of different name iterations because I would find out that there's like a handful, like one used to be called clout. And I think some people kind of know what it means. Like it's not a word that anybody really uses. Uh, I think I just like came across it in a um, like thesaurus or something. Cause I like words, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which should be a surprise to no one at this point. I made a game called spell. Um, it's, it's a pun. Uh, I'm sorry, those, that made me happy. Yeah, a very quick interjection. I did a wonderful stream for uh, the, or I did a stream for the wonderful people at D-Infinity uh, a while ago, and uh, about halfway th through the stream, one of the, the players was like, you know, this game lends itself really well to puns. I'm oh, like, yeah. Yeah, you got it, dude. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and so uh, the, the impulses have gone through a couple of iterations because I found out there's a handful that, like, I always had to read 
through the full description and then like provide examples for. And I was like, okay, so this isn't intuitive. I, it needs to be words. And so I ended up changing it to renown, which is still, uh, has the same sort of connotations. It's about, um, using kind of social hierarchy and solving things through either delegation or, um, through like a, a, a social, um, leverage. And, it was one of those things where, like, as soon as I changed it, it just clicked a lot more readily with, with players. And it's, I think just finding those things that are intuitive for players, because you want to make learning a game as easy and as, as seamless as, as possible for, for people, because, like, you're, you're not going to be there. You don't get to be there and be like, okay, so, but this is what I meant. Because you don't know. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I had something and then it immediately flew away. <laughs> I, I hate yeah, it when happens. my brain does that. Um, so before, um, it's, we've been here for about an hour. Um, before I let you go, uh, what's the easiest way for people to find the Kickstarter? Um, aside from Googling spell Kickstarter. Uh, uh so I actually don't recommend doing that because it turns out a lot of RPGs have spells in them. Uh, and so when I named <laughs> my game Spell the RPG, I did not fully anticipate the uh, SEO challenges involved with that. But if you type in Spell the RPG or Whimsy Machine, it should come up with me. But specifically, a good shorthand URL is whimsymachine.media slash Kickstarter. Uh, and that will take you to a site. Uh, it'll take you to my website, a page of it that's just like, here's the Kickstarter. Uh, and that will get you there. Excellent. And all those, uh, and where can people connect with you on social media? Uh, I am on Twitter at Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R underscore C-S. Um, I do have the uh, at Whimsy Machine handle. I just don't feel like I've gotten big enough to necessitate a separate company handle. I'm also on Facebook at Whimsy Machine Media. Excellent, excellent. And again, all those links are going to be uh, in the show notes so people can connect with you. Um, dude, is there anything else we need to talk about? Uh, I am really excited to say that, like, as of this recording, so sometime over last night, uh, we did hit our uh, $7,500 stretch goal, which unlocks a new chapter. So the game, Spell the RPG, is setting neutral. You can plug it in and play it in with whatever setting and world you want. The only thing that's common is there's this universal language that describes all of reality. You as players can see it, and that's what you tweak to cast your magic. Um, the campaign comes with Spellbook Volume 1, which is a collection of five playable campaigns with unique settings um, that, that I wrote and are illustrated by five different fantastic and wonderful illustrators. Uh, so there's Magical Girl setting, there's a Lucid Dream thriller, High Fantasy Quest, whatever you'd want, it's going to be represented in there. Our stretch goal that we just hit unlocks the first chapter of what's going to be Spellbook Volume 2. And those are all going to be written by people who are not me. And the first one that we unlocked is written by Justine Prado who wrote um, Finding Molly and Adventure in Cat Sitting, which is a webcomic that I absolutely love uh, and was published by Emmett Comics. And uh, she wrote, I think, an issue of Faith for Valiant Comics. And um, she does, like, stage productions and stuff. And illustrated by Linka Semakova, who does these, like, fantastic, haunting, uh, dark gothic illustrations. And they're doing um, a chapter called Witch Hunt, which is about um, 
witches during the Salem witch trials uh, who get actual magic and are able to fight against the patriarchy and fight against like the negative application of, of power from positions and power. Um, so it is good witch magic and also allegorical for, you know, fighting for what's right. Uh, and so I'm really excited about that. We just unlocked it, and I'm going to have a couple more Spellbook Volume 2 chapters to announce in the coming weeks. Awesome. I'm very excited about that. When does the Kickstarter end? March 9th at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, I wanted it to last just a little bit longer than Emerald City because uh, I will be at Emerald City Comic Con just uh, Friday. I'm doing a panel about storytelling in role-playing games. All right. Well, this episode is going to drop on February 28th, so everyone has about 10 days to go back that on Kickstarter, so I highly recommend everyone go do that uh, as you are listening to my words. Uh, when is Emerald City? Is that is that the 3rd and 4th, 4th and 5th? That's the first weekend of March, and at this point it's gotten so big it's like four days, maybe five days. It's oh, wow. Thursday through Sunday, and I think that's the 1st through the 4th. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, have a blast there, even though I know you're going to be working for most of it. <laughs> um, but still should be hopefully a good time. Those yeah, and hopefully those won't be uh, mutually exclusive. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Dude, Taylor, thank you so much. Feel free to uh, shoot me an email and come back on the podcast anytime you want, and hopefully we can get together. I think we had plans for a beer at some point, um, so I still owe you a beer. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll hold you to it. I don't know when the next time I'm going to be in your neck of the woods is, but um, I will keep you in touch with uh, my projects and my convention schedules. It would definitely be awesome to take you up on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm actually going to be up in your neck of the woods sometime this fall for a tough mutter. So I'll have to I'll have to solidify those plans, but I'm pretty sure I am. Nice. Excellent. Uh, and then and then we can talk all about obstacle races because I love those. Awesome. Dude, uh, I will keep you posted on on any Tough Mudders I'm doing in the Pack Northwest. Uh, and maybe you uh, run with me. Or, yeah, you sounds know, good. Or briskly jog with me. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, thank you so much again for your time this morning. I appreciate it. And you and I will be in touch. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you later. All right. Don't hang up yet, though. <laughs> And everybody else, uh, enjoy that. That was a flub on my part. But you know what? Uh, Everyone, have a great rest of your day. Work out, nerd out. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.